Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. Uh, we are doing a cold open this week because we didn't want you to wait two weeks for us to pay tribute to Jerry Stiller because obviously that was gigantic news because uh, he was a, a major part of Seinfeld and one of our favorite parts as well. Uh, in case this is news to you, uh, I can't believe you're a Seinfeld fan because everybody knows about this by yeah. now, but uh, Jerry Stiller passed away on the on Monday morning, the 11th of May. Uh, if you're listening to this, it, it was 2020. Uh, I don't know how much I don't know how much to uh, identify that. He was 92 years old, and we found out when his son Ben Stiller, of course, he had a very famous mm-hmm. son. Uh, he tweeted, "He was a great dad and grandfather, and the most dedicated husband to Anne for about 62 years. He'll be greatly missed." That's of course a reference to Ben's mom and Jerry's wife, Anne Mara, who uh, they and they actually had been famous for a really long time, which I didn't know when I was a Seinfeld fan that Jerry Stiller was huge in the 60s and 70s with Stiller and Mara a comedy duo that was on Ed Sullivan's show like all the time. And she passed away at the age of 85 in 2015, by the way. And yeah, then, of I, course, I he played. I have yeah. literally no idea that, that they were a comedy duo. Like, you could have told me that Jerry Stiller was like, I, I don't know, an, an accountant before Seinfeld, and I probably would have believed you. Yeah, yeah, like Jerry Seinfeld's accountant. Like, you know what? You'd be a great actor. Wait, maybe you should try yeah. this part, That blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. It's just like an, like an angry like guy who just overreacts at finances. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like one of those, you know, character, like one of those non, like one of those found actors, I guess, to use a term, you know, yes. like so someone who yes. just like does their thing and, and you put them on screen and it works. Tommy Wiseau is a good example of like a found <laughs> actor who like, like yeah. he's genuinely trying, but what we like about him isn't what he thinks we like about him. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, oh, and Carl Pilkington is another great found actor, the, uh, you know, the Ricky Gervais guy uh, that he sort of just discovered working in radio and, and then made a star out of. And the guy's like, I don't know why people like me, but I'm doing this dumb thing and getting paid very well for it, I'm sure. Uh, but that just goes to show you, I think, too, what a big a comedy nerd Jerry Seinfeld was, too. You know, he knew these. And he loves the comedy of the 60s and, and 40s and 50s, too. But um, so and, and then obviously he was also played another famous sitcom dad on a show that I don't think either of us really watched. Arthur Spooner on King of Queens. No, I, I've never seen a single episode of King of Queens. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever, I've probably seen at least a couple of full episodes, but that's uh, I could probably count them on one hand, and and I don't remember why I was watching them, but yeah, apparently he was he was hilarious on that show too. For all intents and purposes, playing the exact same character. Yeah, <laughs> like they just were they just called him and were like, hey, um, we want Frank Costanza, but we're just going to change his name. Can you do that? Like, oh, for a ton of money, of course I will. Yeah, almost uh, like they were they were planning out the show. Like, man, it'd be great if we could get Frank. Oh, well, why don't we just make the yeah. offer to Frank Costanza? And it worked yeah. out. Yeah, we need a Frank Costanza type. Why don't we just get Jerry Stiller? Great idea. <laughs> um, and Jerry was also in uh, movies with his son, Ben, a lot of times. He was in both Zoolander movies as Maury Balls, which is uh, hilarious, a very funny character. Love him in that. He was in Heavyweights. He was in The Heartbreak Kid. And before Ben was famous, while Jerry was pretty much still famous, they were in a movie called Hot Pursuit together, playing father and son. I think they like I think they're like criminals or something like that. I forget what exactly goes on, but I seem to remember like Ben was really young, obviously. He's not even the star of the movie. John Cusack is the star of the movie. And Ben looks like he's, I don't know, thirteen and it's crazy how young he looks oh in eighty seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's like one of those like teen sex romps. Um, not not even I don't know, sex is probably a but just like teen adventure 
comedy yeah, things yeah. like um like Better Off Dead, I guess, for another Cusack movie and or, or something like that, or or the Sure Thing. Not surprisingly, the entire cast of Seinfeld paying tribute to Jerry on social media. His TV son Jason Alexander said he was perhaps the kindest man I ever had the honor to work beside. He made me laugh when I was a child, and every day I was with him. Great actor, great man, a lovely friend. R.E.P. Jerry Stiller. I love you. He also shared a photo of the two in tuxedo saying, yeah, I adored this man. Jerry Seinfeld's (laughs) tribute was very simple. Uh, He's holding up a Stiller and Mara album called The Last Two People in the World and has a very morose look on his face and says, Jerry Stiller's comedy will live forever. And I I retweeted that photo or something from our No Hugging account saying, this is so (laughs) memeable, but we can't, right? I mean, I'd love to, but... We can't. <laughs> like, can we, can we please not? I, I mean, we as humanity didn't uh, didn't hold back on the new Michael Jordan meme at Kobe's funeral. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think this is going to uh, get the pass on the meme treatment. Although I haven't, it's been six days. I haven't seen anything yet. But that doesn't mean it, it won't restart. You know? Oh, I think everybody was like me, thinking. I mean, I'm not going to be the first, but I will jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> I, I will jump on the bandwagon when I see it. I'm not going to be the first asshole. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, I, I just want Jerry, like, holding the Blue Album or holding a Megadeth album or something, like, with that look on his face, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus said the truth. Uh, oh, she tweeted a, a, one of the classic Seinfeld blooper reels of all time. It's from a very famous Jerry Stiller line where... He asks Elaine, you want a piece of me? And she tells him I can drop you like a bag of dirt. He yells at her. And like everybody in the scene is just cracking up as Jerry Stiller delivers this line. And Julia said, the truth is this happened all the time with Jerry. He was so funny and such a (laughs) dear human being. We loved him. And people were also revisiting the story about how Jerry Stiller originally passed on Seinfeld. Jerry said that when he was first approached, he hadn't heard of the series before. And he was busy doing a Broadway show. But then they contacted him again after he was done with the show. And he agreed to meet with them. And maybe that's why we had that one weird episode of that they eventually reshot, but I've never seen the reshot footage oh, yeah. of George's other dad. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, there. You know, it's kind of like a Back to the Future thing where they shot a lot of the movie with Eric Stoltz just so they could get you know coverage <laughs> of Doc and stuff like that. And then when they and then they fired him when when Michael J. Fox became available. Yeah, I I honestly didn't know that Eric Stoltz was originally supposed to be Marty McFly until I I heard it on a podcast this past week and i'm like wait oh wow mac was supposed to be marty mcfly wait mac mask the, the guy who played oh, like uh, yeah right right yeah yeah so anyway there that's uh, anything else to add about jerry stiller uh no i don't believe so all right uh now on to the real episode Okay, well, we may just lose this entire episode. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> maybe, maybe we better get going. Should we just get going? Might as well. <laughs> All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing: watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about The Secretary, Season 6, Episode 9. And this is our lost episode, so no one's hearing <laughs> it right now. But um, uh, before that, we do have uh, homework and catch-up and all sorts of interesting stuff to talk about from the previous episode, The Mom and Pop Shop or Mom and Pop Store? I, I think always, it was the Mom and Pop Store. I forget store. what it actually was. I think it was Store. Yeah. Mom and Pop Shop, I, I, I feel like right. we, we would have riffed on that. Oh, the, the rhyming and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I like to shop at the Mom and Pop Stop. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm I sure like one stop of, at the mom and pop shop. One of us would have said that, yeah. So it, it was for sure yeah. store. So this doesn't really have anything to do with the episode, except for some reason I was, we, you know, we got off on the tangent that John Voight is now kind of like a far right celebrity spokesperson, <laughs> and I was trying to remember the other one that had come up on the show for some reason, and I still don't know why. But I knew it was going to be one of those things that I wouldn't be thinking about, and then all of a sudden it would just come to me, and mm-hmm. I was like sending Ted. You would send me a text about something. Oh yeah, like dropping the episode in the, in the Dropbox, and then. At that moment, I remembered who I was trying to remember in the last episode. And it was Chuck Woolery. Oh, okay. Uh, the the, the uh, match and, game and like newlywed host. Yes, and the episode that we talked about him in, thanks to your show notes, because you only throw like you know two or three things that don't really have to do with the episode of Seinfeld in yeah. the show notes, but one of them had to be what Chuck Woolery is up to now, <laughs> and so I was able to figure out that the Virgin is the episode we talked about him in. <laughs> And but I don't know why I was going to try to go back and listen to the Virgin and figure out why, because he's not mentioned in the script. No, Uh, the dating game or the newlywed game. I don't think is mentioned in that episode. I don't know why he came up. Do you remember why? (laughs) By any chance? I have no idea. I can go back in my notes if you want me to. No, because I don't think it would be in your notes. I think it would be just something that came up. I don't know. I I take during the episode because I I take pretty like off topic notes. So it was. Oh, really? Like during the. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Season four, episode. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's. Oh, I don't remember. Did. Um. I don't remember what the Virgin was. Oh yeah, yeah, it was season four something or other. But his and his like crappy like net show that I was trying to think of. I had one word right out of three because I remember it was like the truth or something. But it's blunt force truth. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. And when I Googled, so I was like trying to figure out, I was like Googling Chuck Woolery and Seinfeld, and he does have a hilarious tweet about Jerry Seinfeld, where Jerry Seinfeld gave an interview and he said, he's not interested in doing political humor. You know, like, and, and Chuck Woolery posted that and was like, smart comedy, doesn't want to do Trump jokes, too smart for that. Like, oh, and boy. he obviously did not, he did not RTFA, as they like to say online, <laughs> because what Seinfeld was saying is it's just not, you know, A, it's too easy. So he didn't read that part. Uh-huh. And B, you know, he likes to do more relatable humor about his own life. Now, whether that's, I did read a great article about how Jerry's life is, and people had the same um, critique about Ellen's latest special, which is called Relatable. Like, she's so unbelievably rich, and Jerry Seinfeld's almost worth a billion dollars as well. I would venture to say both of their net worth is approaching a billion dollars. And so it's like, you know, I posted the title of this article, and I didn't actually post the article, but I read it, saying that, like, Jerry Seinfeld's life just isn't relatable anymore. He's trying to Mm -hmm. do this observational humor that's kind of, you know, just, it's not Comedy is so personal these days. It's almost more like storytelling around a ancient Grecian campfire than it is comedy, you know. And and Jerry does a, a style of comedy that he's that is that serves him well when it was very popular. But now you got to get personal, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's what that author was saying. And and when you look at comics that are still making a big killing, you know, like Patton Oswalt and and you know he he springs to mind uh, uh, from Seinfeld, of course. Oh, that's a young right. Seinfeld yeah. actor. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, it, it is very personal, and it's not just, what's the deal with toilet seats? Everyone uses them, right? You know, I mean, that's <laughs> it is personal, but it's not. You know, it's just it's just too um, obtuse. So that's why the, the, the title of the article was, Jerry Seinfeld, it's time to retire or be or confess about your life, something like that. And I was like, that sounds vaguely threatening. <laughs> like, if Jerry Seinfeld doesn't retire, I will spill all his deep secrets, <laughs> deepest, okay. darkest secrets. Uh, okay, I did find why we okay. were talking about Chuck Woolery in The Virgin. Because in, in the ending stand-up bit, uh, Jerry mentions something about sacrificing a virgin, and then uh, I, I wrote down, end up in, end up in he- heaven talking with Chuck Woolery? 
Well, why? Why did we? Why was that a thing? I think he was probably you know combining sort of the idea of the dating game or the um, yeah it was the dating game I think that Chuck Woolery did because you would have three eligible bachelors or bachelorettes and then you would choose which one you wanted to go on a date with and I guess you know he, he was sort of like pretending. <laughs> That if you didn't win the date, you got pushed into the volcano, something like that. It, it's ringing a little bit of a bell, but okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, his, that's when his name must have come up. But I don't. Uh, when I googled like Seinfeld, when I looked at the Seinfeld scripts for the Virgin, Chuck Woolery's, I couldn't find Chuck Woolery's name. So maybe, um, maybe I was spelling it wrong or something. Maybe <laughs> I bet uh, I was spelling it wrong. W o o l e r y. Oh no, that's how I spelled it. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Like maybe- wool. I was like, maybe it's one of those weird like W o l l or something. <laughs> But at least I know now it's like at the end of the episode, and I'll have to I'll have to yeah, yeah. figure out what that. Maybe I can go back and listen. Um, we had a another Kramerism in the middle of the mom and pop store where he tells George, "Hey, Bogambo, <laughs> they've been in the neighborhood for forty eight years." And as far as I could tell from any research uh, online, this is just yet another Kramerism, like Mogumbo, uh, okay. who we called somebody <laughs> earlier. Yeah, I, I think so. I, it's not a reference to anything. Okay, yeah. I, I know we were both like thinking that, but he said it with such confidence that I wasn't sure. We had to be sure. We had to be sure. And it's interesting, like that's that these. Two Kramerisms so far. Maybe there'll be more, you know, as we go on. They really escaped my. Uh, I mean, I didn't notice them. I don't think either time. Maybe I noticed Mogambo. That I feel like it was a little more obvious. But this one just, I totally missed it. And so it's something that is, I missed during the first watching of the show all these years. And now I'm finally catching like <laughs> Mogambo and Mogambo. I do not know why. Um, Midnight Cowboy, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. It is a 1969 American buddy drama film based on the 1965 novel of the same name by James Leo Herlihy. The film stars, as we know, John Voight and also Dustin Hoffman and another Seinfeld actor, Bob Balaban, a.k.a. Russell Dalrymple. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he has a very small part in Midnight Cowboy. Jeez. And set in New York City, Midnight Cowboy depicts the unlikely friendship between two hustlers, naive prostitute Joe Buck a.k.a. John Voight, and ailing conman Ratso Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman. The film won three awards at the 42nd Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And as I mentioned, Midnight Cowboy is the only X-rated film ever to win Best Picture, which doesn't seem like... I mean, that seems like a hard thing to do, but I don't know if it's like so... Like, couldn't, is it the only X-rated film to ever win an Oscar? That's what I would wonder. Like, how many X-rated films won Oscars? Yeah, I feel like that number many? is like <laughs> astonishingly low. Do you want to do? Do you want to do homework on that? You know? <laughs> I mean, let me see. Let's just do it right now. <laughs> I probably should have done it. I don't know. I, I don't feel like the Academy is giving the necessary love to Backdoor Honey's Eight. <laughs> X-rated film Oscars. Did you know the first X-rated <laughs> film to be nominated? X-rated movies, Oscar winners. Let's see. This uh, could be a good one. The only X-rated... Yeah, I mean, like, you know it's the only X-rated movie to win Best Picture? Like, yeah, I guess. I don't... All right, here we go. Three movies. Okay, there's been three movies in all of Oscars history that have scored nominations despite their X ratings. Wow, okay. One is Midnight Cowboy. And actually, pretty interesting, since 1974, Midnight Cowboy has been downgraded to R. How about that? Huh, okay. Number two is A Clockwork Orange, which Mm. I also did not know was an X-rated movie. Huh. Well, I think the X, oh, wait, the, uh, X rating, the X rating was only a thing until like '89, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, and then it was replaced by NC-17. Yeah, but um, a Clockwork Orange's rating was also downgraded to an R. Okay. Later on, and then oh, Last Tango in Paris, of course, and that is still rated NC-17 to this day. Hmm. 
Marlon Brando got a Best Actor nomination, and Bernardo Bertolucci got a nod for his work as director. It, now, and it's about. Um, I know that the the sex in that movie is pretty explicit. <laughs> now, is is Midnight Cowboy the only X rated to win anything? Because you you said these it, were all nominations, right? Um, yeah, this is nominations. Yeah, and so Midnight Cowboy. Well, good question. Let's see. So we know Midnight Cowboy won three awards. So A Clockwork Orange only got nominations okay. for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Last Tango in Paris got nominations for star Marlon Brando and the director, as I mentioned, but no wins. And I didn't know uh, Blue Valentine was NC-17 with um, Michelle Williams and Ryan Gosling. Really? That movie was sad as hell. I, I thought it was just yeah. rated R. Well, it was downgraded to an R by the MPAA after lobbying by distributor Harvey Weinstein. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I mean, the guy. I mean, he just had you know. He was all over oh. Hollywood. He had his. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't escape him, and it was definitely you know. So uh, it's, controversy it's, noted. It's like when uh, Grace and I are trying to wa- rewatch uh, the Lord of the Rings, and we just see the Weinstein Company title card, and we're both like, <laughs> "Oh no!" Dang it! Uh, Michelle Williams was nominated for Best Actress, but that's it. So yeah, it is the only. Why don't they say that? You know, what's the only. X-rated movie to win an Oscar? Why don't they say that? <laughs> Why does it have to be? You know, it's the only one to win Best Picture. That's the hardest one to get. Yeah, there could have been X-rated movies that won Best Sound Mixing. Say <laughs> it's the only X-rated movie to win any Oscar ever. That's the more that's the more impressive feat, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, and especially now that the X rating is not a thing, it will it will never have any competition. Truth. Yeah, that's that's very accurate. So if anything, Midnight Cowboy is like underrated. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. If anything, we're finding it's been like its achievements have been severely underrated. Oh god! If you want to see it though, by the way, it is you can you can rent it anywhere right now. It's not streaming anywhere for free, but it's only ninety nine cents on Amazon right now, or five dollars really? if you just want to straight up buy it. Yeah. Really? Huh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this episode so brought to you it. by Amazon Prime. Yes, sign up and put no hugging in the code, and you'll get seven years free. And then just remember to cancel after after that. God, seven years of free prime—that's a solid deal. Jeez. <laughs> and call and complain if they don't give it to you, and say this podcast. <laughs> How come Amazon is Amazon in the podcast game? Uh, is there I, like Amazon rate us and review us on Amazon podcast? Oh my god, no! I don't I think they, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I know that's weird, huh? Is there some way we can exploit that? <laughs> <laughs> we, you know what? We, we came up with the idea, Amazon Podcast. If you want it, you got to pay us a billion dollars each. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Patent pending. That's chump change to Jeff Bezos. Are you kidding me? Jeez. Exactly, Ted. That's why he's going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it believable. That, don't you see that's the genius of it? If I could quote the mom and pop shop or the mom and pop store, I mean, that's the genius of it. If I said $12 billion... They never would have given it to us. But just a billion, yeah. <laughs> just a, finds that in the console please, of his car. Please, sir, can I please have a measly <laughs> billion dollars? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I also wanted to know about Daniel Frischman, who I recognized at the end of the episode, an American actor, comedian, writer, director, and magician. He was born in Whippany, New Jersey, and is best known for his roles as Arvid in the ABC sitcom Head of the Class, where I remembered him from. And I'm surprised this didn't come up, Ted, because I know you're more of a, of a, of a DCOM fan. Oh, no. But he was Chris Potter on the Nickelodeon sitcom Keenan and Kel. 
I think he ran a grocery store or something. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not even too familiar with that show, but I, I, I can picture him in the outfit and everything. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, jeez. <laughs> but I looked. I was still looking, and I was like, he has to have been in a Disney Channel show. He's just got too great of a. A face and a, an act, you know. I mean, so, but he, as far as I could tell, he'd never done any Disney TV. But he was in Keenan and Kel. Maybe, maybe it was like a little battle between Nickelodeon and, and Disney, where like, oh, you did wait, you did Keenan and Kel. You know, he was a recurring character on that show, so oh, he yeah. probably didn't have time for. Oh Disney. yeah, yeah. He, he di- didn't work for the mouse, but he worked for the uh, what? He worked for the slime. <laughs> yeah, what do you call Nickelodeon? The I, blimp? I know they used to give away blimps for uh, he wor- stuff. Worked for the. Uh, the big orange? I don't know. <laughs> the big orange. I like that. He worked for big orange. He worked for oh, big orange. Wow. <laughs> and so Dan, because he was from New Jersey and the end of the show takes place in New Jersey, sort of, he you know, he plays the guy who calls Jerry to tell him that he's found his stolen sneakers collection at a garage sale in Parsippany, New Jersey, just which is just north of the town that Frischman grew up in. So he asked if they could change the place of the name in the script from Parsippany to Whippany. But Seinfeld declined, saying, no, Whippany doesn't sound like the name of a real town. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. ballsy of him to ask, though. I mean, yeah, damn. Who, who comes in to read one line and is like, hey, can we change the whole script? <laughs> like, um, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a problem with this line here. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're a background extra. You're not even... Why would you bring up the... Why do you have the script? <laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, hey, uh, Larry, I, I have a note. Who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm in the audience today? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I can punch this up. What if Jerry's in? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's funny that Parsippany and Whippany are so close together. It's almost like one town was founded first, and the other one was like, oh, we got a town. It's like, oh, really? What's it called? Ours is Parsippany. Like, oh, um, Whippany? <laughs> wait what yours is yours rhymes with ours yeah but it, no totally unrelated we came up with it a long time ago way before you did i feel like that's how it happened <laughs> it, <laughs> and scene it, it, it'd be like just north of pittsburgh renaming the town to like schittsburg <laughs> yeah exactly or uh well there are there are a lot of like pittsburgh nick- i was gonna say blitzburg but i was like that's another nickname for pittsburgh so um damn you pittsburgh Steelers. Wittsburg. Um, I was. I actually wondered what came first during the episode: the name John Voight or writing the script and then seeing what actor was available. You know, like let's come up with a good, you know, uh, actor who's not necessarily on his way up anymore, but is still a famous name, and then we'll just put that in later once NBC tells us who they can get or something. But we do have an answer to that. As with many Seinfeld episodes, the mom and pop store was inspired by events in the lives of the writers. Tom Gamble bragged to Jerry Seinfeld that he had purchased a car which was previously owned by John Voigt. His writing partner, Max Prost, broke in that he was skeptical that the car had really belonged to Voigt. Seinfeld said, you should make this an episode. And according to Gamble and Prost, much of the conversations between George and Jerry were almost verbatim recreations of their real debate over the car, including Jerry, Prost in real life, noticing that the owner's manual said J-O-H-N Voigt, though the pencil with teeth marks is a fictional part of the episode. But they really... the. That the owner's manual really did say John Voight. Jeez. Oh, my God. And so because this guy really thought he had John Voight's car and, you know, it's almost like this almost mirrors George Costanza trying to figure out whether or not John Voight owned the car because he's like, what am I doing? I've got the entire Yankee organization at my disposal. Tom Gamble is probably like, 
what am I doing? I've got the most popular sitcom in the world right now at my disposal. I'll write an episode. We'll get John Voight to show up, and then I can ask him. So <laughs> during the time John Voight was on set, again, just a few minutes to film his scene, Gamble asked Voight to look at the car, and Voight said he had never owned it. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's incredible. Oh, my God. Question answered. Yeah. Uh, the same car, including the keys, was used as George's car in both this episode and an episode coming up next season. And his writing partner, Max Prose's car, has a cameo as the car George originally planned to buy, the Volvo, I guess. But I, I, think, I think it's hilarious that he pulled a Costanza and was like, what am I doing? I've got the entire NBC organization at my disposal. I'll write an episode. We'll pay John Voight to show up, and then I'll ask him. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Oh, the big band songs heard on the radio in the episode, Honeysuckle Jump and Next Stop Pottersville, are not really big band songs at all. They were composed by Jonathan Wolf, the Aww. Seinfeld composer, just for this episode. Aww. I know. <laughs> okay. They definitely had me. <laughs> I totally because I think even Elaine gives an artist in the first, you know, when when Honeysuckle Jump comes on, I'm like, and so I really thought they were just big band songs that they licensed, but they're not. The character Tim Watley was introduced in this episode. Gamble and Pross based him on a college acquaintance who would specifically not invite certain people in the same circle of friends to his parties. So oh. kind of like how <laughs> Elaine, George, and Kramer are invited, but not Jerry. They they had a friend that would do this apparently. Oh my god, Th- this this actually mixing- just happened to Grace and I recently. Really? Yeah, like since since we talked about this episode, like there was uh, uh, people that she knows that were like having a party that openly like talking about it in front of her and she wasn't invited, I guess. Oh, that's bad. I, I, that's like that's the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's really weird. I mean, it's weird mixing circles of friends because I had a friend who I think I've even talked about this who was very open and like just would invite any of his friends to come hang out with us. And sometimes they were my friends and sometimes they weren't. But, like, he didn't care if he was bringing something new, someone new into the group. And I was always, for some reason, I was like, well, I can't bring, well, I can't bring this guy out tonight because he's, like, over in this group of friends that I hang out with. And tonight I'm hanging out with this group of friends. You know, like, I, I knew, I've known people that just don't care about that. Like, oh, my friends are my friends and everybody's friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where Tim Watley was coming from. It seemed like he was being kind of spiteful. <laughs> because otherwise he wouldn't have cared if, Jer- if Jerry showed up. You yeah, know? no. But he, he really did. The sequence with the Woody Woodpecker balloon was inspired by footage of Woody Woodpecker, the Woody Woodpecker balloon explosively collapsing during a parade. I don't remember. I've never what? heard of this event before. Yeah. <laughs> And the production team was a, unable to obtain the rights to this footage, so they had to recreate it using just a brief shot of Mr. Pitt trying to hold up the balloon. Jeez. I didn't know this happened, but evidently it, it's another real-life thing that made it into the script. God, okay. <laughs> and that's all I have as far as uh, homework and trivia. Whew, all right. Did we, uh, did we have any news or anything? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, I was ge- I was gonna say uh, I, I was waiting for you to say. Actually, we do have some sad news. Uh, little Richard died. And I was gonna say, are you telling me Little Richard was in an episode of Seinfeld? I, I was I was totally prepared for that. <laughs> no, but I'm sure that Siegfried and Roy have been mentioned somewhere. Oh, they yeah. had to have been mentioned somewhere in the Seinfeld universe. That's so. right. As oh long as you God. want to mention celebrity deaths, yeah. Roy in peace. Gee, Roy in peace. Yeah. Oh uh, man. Okay, so. Uh, if you've never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last half hour being pretty much predominantly homework. 
Uh, we like to have our questions pop up naturally and answer them the week after as though we are, again, assigning homework to ourselves. I'm, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim is watching these episodes for the first time in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss something, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHuggingNoLearningShow at gmail.com. Both of those links are down in the episode description. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you want. Uh, it's just super important if you do leave it somewhere other than Apple Podcasts. Uh, send us a screenshot so that we can see it uh, because we can only see the Apple Podcast ones. Uh, like Reality Tim, who gave us a five-star review, as, as opposed to... I'm. I'm guessing fantasy Tim that I'm doing the show with, uh, but reality Tim. I think I know. I think I know who this is. Do you? Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, yeah. re- reality like Tim says it's like watching it again for the first time with friends. The best Seinfeld podcast ever. It's like watching it all over for the first time with, with friends. Uh, I love the homework part of the podcast. Well. Reality Tim, you're going to fucking love this one. Jesus. Uh, answering all those crazy questions you ever had about a Seinfeld episode and a few you did not. If you love Seinfeld and you want to re- relive it again for the first time, this is the podcast for you. It's like you're in your room with these guys. I was hooked in the first five minutes. Thank you, Reality Tim. We will send you a No Hugging No Learning sticker. Just please send us your address. Cool. So I believe that's uh, my good friend. I met him when he was Tim Putry, but he says his last name as Tim Putre. I hope I'm not doxing him or anything. I don't think he would care because <laughs> I- I'm going to give his podcast a shout out. He does a new podcast called uh, Tim Loves the Olympics, and he loves, guess what, the Olympics. Oh, my and God. <laughs> it's kind of funny because he's also in radio. So I met him when I worked in, D- in D.C. radio. I was a, a lackey at a, a, a couple of stations there and he was producing a show there and then he moved out to LA where he started um, work, working on reality TV shows. So really? that's why it's Reality Tim, I believe, if I was going to guess. Yeah. Oh my and now God. he works for a show on Sirius XM on the Hits 1 channel, I think. But his podcast is really awesome because he talks to Olympians and he's just really um, enthusiastic about it and he makes you enthusiastic and interesting, <laughs> interested in what's going on. And also, you're listening to interviews by people who reached elite status in a very yeah. in a field that's very difficult to do that. And so you're learning something that you can apply to your own life in every episode, no matter what you do, even if you're not you know, a skeleton or a someone who does luge or you know softball or whatever this Um, this sounds awesome i'm I'm looking at his show now it looks like he's had uh someone from uh the uh u.s women's water polo team olympic skeleton racer swimmer uh women's hockey uh women women's gymnast 2020 paralympics uh olympic softball team this this sounds awesome yeah 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 It's, it's it's a great show tim loves the olympics the only free and plug that we're giving. Is the only what? The only free plug that we're giving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, but it's funny because when he, so he went from producing to on air, and when he made that switch, he changed his name to Tim Murphy. So he was Tim Murphy for a while, and oh, I've always really? been Tim Murphy. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, all right. Uh, I guess we're ready to get into the episode, right? Well, you, oh, you haven't done the synopsis or anything. Uh, yes. So, today you have, we have got... I think you're on all that being said. With all that being said, Season 6, Episode 9, Nice, The Secretary, original air date, December 8th, 1994. I was one year, 11 months, and 18 days old. And Tim, if you count this episode and everything we have left, we have 81 episodes before we become... A, I don't know. I don't know. What what do we become this week? 
Tim and Ted hate the Olympics. Tim and Ted, <laughs> where, where, where we uh, we schedule interviews with Olympians and Olympic hopefuls, get them on the phone, and we just tell them how much we fucking hate them. Yeah, yeah. We're just, our own, we have one question we ask everybody. You think you're better than me? <laughs> you think you're better than us? <laughs> you, you, you think you could fight me? I, I think I could fight you. <laughs> I, Tim, I would never Tim, ask anybody. Tim and Ted fight <laughs> Olympians. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You think you're better than us? Oh my god! Just because you're an Olympian, just because you got a gold medal, you think you're better than me? <laughs> okay, well, if you're looking in TV guy, somebody. <laughs> if you're looking in TV guy, the night of December eighth, ninety four, you're gonna see George hires an unattractive secretary. Okay. <laughs> and we start with a stand up bit as usual, and this is how I gotta say it's very woke uh, of woke moment for Jerry fur how fur is just very not attractive he doesn't understand why people wear fur and good for you Jerry <laughs> like the, I guess in 94 maybe this was an earthquake but yeah, was yeah it, was you know I've a, always grown was up this a controversial, thinking that fur sucked was this a controversial opinion in 94 I guess it was probably still around but you know I, I, I probably only within the last few years at this point had, had you know PETA really started taking a stand and you started hearing about people getting like blood or red paint thrown on fur coats and things like that. Um, so I've always grown. I was never I always grew up thinking it sucked. Wearing fur was like pointless and dumb and, and not a good thing. So I guess I'm you've, nev- um, you've never been bragging fur- myself. You've never been the fur guy. <laughs> yeah, I've never been a big fan of fur or thought that it looked good or I mean, it's just a status symbol. You know, it's expensive and. People, I'm sure there are people that still wear it, but yeah, um, yeah I, I've never grown up thinking it was a, oh, once I'm rich, I have to get fur, you know, <laughs> that that's like, that is something to strive for. I've always grown up thinking that it's, it's on its way out, which yeah. is good, I guess. But I, Jerry was like on the forefront of this, it seems like. Yeah, I know. Like personally, I've never been drawn to the idea of like fur for for me or, or like anybody else. I'm like, this, uh, this looks weird. It looks, looks warm. Looks like if you spill anything on it, it's going to be a very expensive bill. I don't know. Mm, yeah, yeah. I've I've never gotten the appeal anyway. But it's just it's like any fashion that you know is is for rich people. It's just you wear because it is expensive, not because it's a good look or, <laughs> or practical or anything. or it's comfortable or or, or anything other yeah. than oh well, it's expensive. It's expensive. We open the episode proper at a dry cleaners, and this is eleven seventy three Lexington Avenue. And so the street was not available. I, all I saw was eleven seventy three, but I did see a phone number eight six one eight zero seven one. So did I was you able to Google them? dry cleaners, and no, I didn't. <laughs> I was able to. Well, I if I would have tried, I probably wouldn't have got anybody because it was originally the number for Nilo Cleaners, and now it's not there anymore. But it was at eleven seventy three Lexington Avenue, and I found them on a wedding planning site or a party planning site called punch bowl for like, I guess maybe at one point they even rented tuxedos or Hmm. maybe it was just a place that would clean your tuxedo. But that's the only like white pages style listing I was able to find or yellow pages style listing. I was able to find for Nilo cleaners, but that's what came up when I Googled that number. So that is what used to be there an actual dry cleaners. And now it's a clothing store called Ronnie Arabella. Okay. And that's all I know. (laughs) Yeah. So the dry cleaner is not there anymore. And George is talking to Jerry, who is there waiting in line. And George gets to hire a secretary. And he's not just going to hire an attractive woman. And he's very proud of himself for deciding to go against type and just sort of he's going to go for efficiency only and not, you know, not hire an attractive woman because the frustration is just going to allow him not to get any work done. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jerry is dropping off his mom's fur for storage and a houndstooth jacket of his for cleaning and the dry cleaner 
loves it. And by the way, this is, of course, a new dry cleaner for Jerry because he had to leave his old dry cleaner in season five, episode 17, The Wife. Oh, that's right. He was caught trying to trying to scam a discount for him and his family and friends. That's right. Uh, or did, people who weren't his family, but were his friends. Did, did you catch what George was saying? Uh, like, he, he wasn't going to go his normal route. He, he wasn't going to go the tomato route. Uh, but he, yeah. also, he also said that, I, I'm, I'm doing a full 360. I'm, go, I'm going to go something uh, completely different. And Jerry's like, that's a 180. I love that. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. So over at Yankee Stadium, George is interviewing secretaries. And he's got to be breaking some employment laws. In oh this my god! Yeah, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> Jesus. Well, f- first off, he's got he's got two very beautiful women. One who we know because she actually talks about uh, her uh, uh, skills a little bit. She's very overly qualified. She, she's perfect for the role. But I don't I don't remember what he tells her. But the second one, he says. I would give up eating red meat for my entire life just to see you in a bra. <laughs> this is not going to work out. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the first one, he, like, straight up tells her, you're not getting the job because of the way you look. Because I, I think that's the one where he says, I look at you, I forget my own name. Like, there's got to be something that these women can do. <laughs> I guess this is before Me Too. This, is, this was life before Me Too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then he meets uh, Vicky Lewis, who... Did you recognize this actress? No. So, yeah, um, I recognize her from News Radio. Oh, okay. I still haven't watched News yeah. Radio. My God. Oh, it's, it's great. And Vicky Lewis is the funnier Kathy Griffin. Like, they're both, you know, they're both <laughs> redheads, obviously. They both can be, like, brassy and, you know, especially Vicky Lewis. Like, so Vicky Lewis had this shtick on... Like, her character on News Radio was one thing. And I think I've even talked about this before. And then Kathy Griffin started doing the same act on Veronica's Closet, and I think that's why it came up, because uh, Dan Cortez, the male bimbo, was on Veronica's Closet, and, I, and then I, I ranted about Kathy Griffin and how Vicky Lewis deserves to have a career, and Kathy Griffin doesn't, because I think Vicky Lewis was a lot funnier and just more pleasant than Kathy Griffin, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it's funny. It's funny because Kathy Griffin's going to be on Seinfeld later. Uh, uh, she does oh, appear. Okay. okay. But I was kind of offended that when Vicky Lewis showed up, George is just disgusted. I mean, you can, he can hardly hold back his vomit looking at her disgusting face. Like, yeah, this, couldn't they have found somebody? <laughs> this was uh, this was weird to watch. Partly because Vicky Lewis looks almost identical to my wife. Like, that's one thing that I have a problem with. <laughs> like, my wife is a redhead, and she has you know kind of sharp features like Vicky Lewis does. Like, they look pretty similar. And so the fact that, like, George was just like, I never, ever even, oh, I'm dry heaving just thinking of physical contact with you. I'm like, we couldn't get somebody less attractive. Like, Vicky Lewis is, even when she's not all, like, like, buttoned up, you know, she's wearing unfashionable old people clothing. She's got her hair up in a bun. She wears glasses. You know, we know that we know from Jerry Seinfeld that that's disgusting if a woman wears glasses. Hey, at least you know that George Costanza would never want to have sex with your wife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you remember in the optometrist shop, though, when Jerry said specifically that, uh, you know, I don't really date people with glasses or something like that. Yeah. Like, geez, just like it wasn't even a funny line. It was just like matter of fact. <laughs> but I mean, don't even so take all that out of it. Like, don't you feel like Vicky Lewis is at least a little attractive? Like. I know she's not a 10 like the women supposedly that came in before, I mean, they, but as, she's certainly on the upper end of that scale. They, they definitely tried to like dress the character down a lot 
So I, I, yeah. I don't know uh, off the top of my head what Vicky Lewis looks like when she's not purposely uh, being made to look unattractive. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel, I mean, like, it's one thing, like, Charlie Saren and Monster is one thing, but Vicky Lewis in this episode is another, where it's like, <laughs> you didn't really do anything, you know? Like, how about some prosthetics, at least, or something? All right, know? am I going to have to look up Vicky Lewis? How about Lu- a big wart? Am I going to have to look up Vicky Lewis to to save your argument? Well, if you, if, you saw the end of the, if you saw the end of the episode, I think you got a pretty good look uh, at what Vicky Lewis looks like normally. Oh, okay, yeah, she's not, she's not hideous. Yeah, I, I don't even think she's hideous when they they like dressed her up like a librarian here. Yeah, I think they could have found a much less attractive actress, and it would have been. I think you know, they, I think it would have been fine. They definitely could. <laughs> like I'm, I'm with you. Give her like, uh, give her like a, a witch's nose prosthetic or something. Yeah, <laughs> but so you know, she's hired uh, eventually, pretty much. Uh, over in the apartment, Superman is on the bookshelf, and Elaine is complaining about a dress that she got at Barney's. And she blames the mirrors in the store. And as Jerry puts it, oh, in the store, it's Hotsy Totsy. But at home, it's Hotsy Nazi. <laughs> and I didn't like how Nazi rhymed with Nazi. Do you know oh, what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, I, know, I knew he meant it N-O-T-S-I, but it still sounds like N-A-Z-I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know he wasn't using it. Like, he was just making a funny rhyme, but yeah. I'm like, it still sounds like Nazi, Hotsy Nazi, and you're saying Hotsy Nazi. Well, <laughs> That's ma- a Hotsy Nazi. <laughs> it makes me think, did you ever see the movie Tusk? No, I haven't. The the Kevin Smith movie. Uh, it's with Justin Long and Haley Joel Osment in the in the beginning, and they have a podcast where Haley Joel Osment's character doesn't leave his house for anything. Uh, he's he's kind of a hermit, but he's best friends with Justin Long, who goes out and sees all these movies. So he comes back and on the podcast describes them to Haley Joel Osment's <laughs> character, who can't see them. You, the name of their podcast is. The Nazi party. Ah, the Nazi party. The Nazi party. Yeah. <laughs> the Nazi party. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, so Elaine tries on the dress because Jerry wants to go to a movie and she wants to return the dress. But she's like, all right, I'll try it on. I'll show you what it looks like. Um, as George comes in, who is very pleased with the fact that he has hired Ada. That's Vicki Lewis's name in the show, her character name, Ada. Uh, pl- very pleased with himself that he you know, hired somebody he doesn't want to sleep with. <laughs> Yet, yeah, we'll but, say. but but he's um, like he's like I don't know why I didn't have a secretary before, and Jerry's like because you didn't have a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Elaine comes out and she does look odd in this dress. It's like a big <laughs> garbage bag with kind of holes cut down the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and Elaine's like, but in the in the store I looked amazing. There was a woman walking by who said I looked like Demi Moore in Indecent Proposal. And I love Jerry's line here. How fast was she walking? <laughs> uh, that the, line cracked me up. Th- this whole scenario here is like weirdly timely. Because, I mean, you look at any of these like discount fashion sites like Shein and, oh and Wish. You, you you see like, oh, this dress is $15 and it looks great uh, in uh, in like the, the photo on the site or something. And Grace has had this problem many times where she gets it and it's cheap, but oh my God, it is not the thing that is being described or the thing that is shown in the photo. It's something entirely different. Oh yeah. And the cut is usually awful and the the pattern is nothing like it. And it's, yeah, I've seen this time and time again. One of my favorite subreddits is expectations versus reality where they show what they ordered online and oh then what they God. actually got, and it's it's always hilarious. I didn't even know that was a thing. I have to look this up. Wait, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up later. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend it. By the way, I, I had to look it up. Indecent Proposal came out in April of 1993, so just kind of like a, a year and a half before this episode, so still hot. Um, and they have a discussion about how to pronounce Demi Moore's name, whether it's Demi or Demi. And George's argument is that he's never heard of a semi-truck before, <laughs> but I guess he's heard of a semi-truck? Because I say semi. Yeah. If you want to go that route, then it's Demi more. <laughs> yeah, both of those are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've heard of a semicircle, so that's that. Uh, that's where I would go. I've never heard of a demi a demi circle and a semicircle. Demi, I, and, and I've also never heard of a semicircle. Yeah, not a semicircle. <laughs> demi, demi or demi, demi. I don't know. Now I don't even know what the argument was. I've heard it's actually closer to to, to saying the word dummy, like D U M M Y, demi more. Dummy more. Dummy more. Dummy. Instead of like dummy, it's like dummy. Like dummy. Dummy more. Dummy more. But you have to say it like (laughs) that exact cadence. Like, oh, hi, dummy. (laughs) Like Peter Facinelli in Can't Hardly Wait. Do you get that reference? (laughs) Nope. Somebody will. (laughs) He says, a man, who's going to want you now, a man, duh. (laughs) And he thinks he's like so uh, witty for coming up with that pronunciation. Uh, and he says it to Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, oh, so wow. Elaine, oh, yeah, Elaine accuses Barney's of having skinny mirrors. And if I'm not mistaken, like this was actually something that came to light that department stores do actually do pretty recently. I might have to put like skinny mirror department store mirrors or something because I believe there was a bit of a case or something where okay. they found out that they that department stores were manipulating mirrors. I'm gonna write that down myself. Interesting that department stores would do this and not like high fashion retailers. Yeah, well, Barney's pretty much was a high fashion retailer, so but I'd still call it a department store. I'd call it a department store in the same way I call Nordstrom's or Macy's a department store. Okay, just because it's organized in departments. Nah, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> you're you're right. I, whenever I think of like department store, I think of like I don't know Walmart or Target. Or something like some something that uh, is going to have like a small grocery section, and then I walk four aisles down, and I can buy stuff for my garden. Yes, yeah, th- that also was organized into departments, but I always call those big box stores. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know what I called them before that term because I feel like that term is even pretty recent. <laughs> That's a pretty new so term. I, so I don't know what I yeah. used to call them. <laughs> um, yeah, to me, department stores are always at like, and I don't think Barney's is because of it where it is in New York, but it's they're always like the anchor stores of malls. Like, if you can name an anchor store of them all, JCPenney, Belk, Hex, Boscovs. Yeah, that's right. Um, those are department stores to me. Kramer comes in, and he wants to go to Barney's, too, to get his moisturizer. Uh, but they decide to meet the next day, and he'll also have lunch, too, um, with Elaine, <laughs> which she finds kind of weird because they never hang out, just them. And Kramer's <laughs> excited about that prospect. Yeah, but, like, as Kramer's talking about it, Elaine just goes right back into the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, she just leaves. Yeah. Um, but I found it weird that she's like, moisturizer? That's girl stuff. <laughs> what? Yeah, like... Did you was, catch that line from Elaine? Yeah. Were, were, were no guys using, like, moisturizer in 1994? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really weird. Mo- moisturizer? <laughs> that's girl stuff. <laughs> men are supposed to be dry constantly. Me- just, men are supposed to be dry... Waste- as, desert wastelands. Me- men are supposed to be dry as a new sponge, Kramer. <laughs> Uh, so George mentions, oh, so in the next scene, we're at Yankee Stadium, and it's a late night with Ada for some planning, and George mentions, by the way, if the strike is over, blah, 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 we'll go to Anaheim, and I had to look it up at that moment. There was a baseball strike going on 
from August of 94 to April of 95, the longest work stoppage in pro sports history, a record it held until 2004 when the NHL went on strike. But yeah, they um, they canceled the World Series in 94. So it's funny that George got a job for the Yankees when they were not playing baseball. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Pretty crazy. George just can't help himself. Despite being disgusted by Ada's appearance, he still hits on her. She's into it. They fall to the floor, yeah. kissing and making well, out. Well, but before we, before so, we get to that, uh, George, uh, or no, Ada says something that she uh, looked up. Uh, George's query about like switching popcorn vendors or something, uh, and she found that something like yeah, switching to canola oil. Yeah, yeah, switching to canola oil would only cost half a cent more per bag. So then George like starts complimenting her up and down. But George's line here, he was like, "Do you know what I'm thinking now?" And he's like, I, "I think, I think I do." In that, she's almost kind of disgusted. But George is like, "Is it doable?" And she's like, it's very doable. <laughs> and they just attack each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they definitely bumped front teeth. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, probably probably in post, they had to the, remove the click of, like, the, the teeth, the, like, hitting the, each other. This cannot have been the first take of this because they just run at each other, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that requires some rehearsal. The, the first take either had to have them headbutting each other full on or just kind of, like, bracing before they hit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a stunt. I mean, they needed to probably bring in a coordinator to (laughs) choreograph it. (laughs) And so over at the movies where Jerry and Elaine are, Elaine comes out and spoils the ending for everybody in line, which is hilarious. (laughs) She's like, I can't believe they made the wife... Yeah, I can't believe they made the wife the killer. (laughs) Yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do with the episode. It's just something that Elaine does in the middle of it that is just funny. And Kramer comes running out, and he has met Uma Thurman, and he's getting her phone number. And the only so Jerry has a pen, but the only paper he has is his dry cleaning claim ticket. And as he runs back in to get Uma Thurman's number, Jerry remarks that he's got the Kavorka, you know, because they're both kind of shocked that Kramer could pull someone like Uma Thurman, yeah, but uh, who's probably just hot off of um, uh, Pulp Fiction. I think that was '94, so you know her career was definitely on the rise and so i like that throwback to the that episode where oh the con- the conversion or something like that whatever it was oh, yeah that's right george is going to convert and at, it's at that moment that jerry sees his dry cleaner who we find out his name is willie going into a movie in jerry's houndstooth jacket or what looks like jerry's houndstooth jacket because willie like loved it and complimented mm-hmm. jerry on it when he dropped it off and and now he appears to be wearing it over at yankee stadium Ada, guess what? She's efficient at sex as well. Uh, and, she, yeah, she's she's giving in she's the giving of, more. She's giving George more efficient advice of how to get her bra off. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and give me that pillow, and I'll show you something or, or whatever. Oh, okay, what, uh, and George, what what do you think she was doing with this pillow? Um, like propping up her pelvic floor, probably uh, maybe uh, not her pelvic floor, but you know her her pelvis in some way. Uh, okay, okay, that's but my like, guess. But but George just screams i'm assuming while he's climaxing that (laughs) i'm giving you a raise (laughs) yeah (laughs) so over at monks we find out george is in a bit of a dilemma because (laughs) you know now he has to go in to ask steinbrenner to give her a raise (laughs) and 
I love that Jerry is like, how long has you been there? Three days. Like, yeah, that's, that'll work. Yeah. Um, I, I, because I, he sort of, you know, he can't just, he, he can't just, he yelled it in the heat of passion, but he can't write it off like that because he wasn't saying anything else yeah. like it in the heat of passion. I, I did like Jerry's line here. He's like, are you in any way authorized to give raises? And George is like, not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> so as they're getting up to leave and pay the check, Jerry finds a movie ticket in his houndstooth jacket, incriminating Ooh. Willie, the dry cleaner. Uh, but we, we can't forget about Jerry's line that's, so you're so grateful to have sex that you'll just shout out anything that comes into your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cut to Barney's New York. This was at 660 Madison Avenue uh, from 1998. This was Barney's New York flagship store. They started in New York in 1923. Oh my god! And it, it was one of five. Now they, I think they had uh, somewhere in the mid twenty, like like twenty two or something like that, actual stores and outlets. I think in the world, but they only had five U.S. flagship stores. This was one of them, and it actually closed this year in Tw- February of yeah February twenty third, twenty twenty was the last day what? this store was open. <laughs> oh no! Because. Barney's declared bankruptcy in 2019. Some holdings group bought them, gave all their intellectual property to Saks Fifth Avenue, and that's it. That's it for Barney's. I mean, 1923 to 2020. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing... How timely. I'm guessing whatever holding company bought it in February is kicking themselves right now for uh, paying whatever they did and then obviously not being able to be open for two months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, the last day was, and there's lots of articles written about people who are going to try to find bargains, and it looked like a, an apocalyptic wasteland. It looked like whenever someone goes into a store in a movie where they're the last person on Earth, that's what Barney's looked like on, its, <laughs> on the last day it was open. It was just crazy. Oh, just man. stuff thrown everywhere, and yeah, just employees don't care. They laid off like 700, over 700 employees or something like that Jeez. in the in the world. I mean, so yeah, it just just crazy. But how timely for us that like a few months ago, this store closed down, and now we're talking about this episode. I feel like that happens to us a lot. <laughs> yeah, just like all of the unintentionally timely things. Yeah. So Elaine is accusing the store of false reflecting, as she calls it. <laughs> and so she wants to try on a new dress because she's so bring, she's bringing this one back. And so she's going to try on another dress. Meanwhile, Kenny Banya comes in. So the second Banya episode, after a little break from the, break from the Banya, uh, we have him back. And he's looking for a new suit because, as we know, he's huge. He's been working out, as he mentions again. Yeah, he's a 42 now. he likes now. Kramer's suit. He's a 42 and now. he's a 42. And Kramer says he's the same size. Kenny and Kramer are not the same size. <laughs> there is Kramer no is probably way. like a 36. He's a beanpole. <laughs> he's he's, he's, a he's bean probably pole. a 36 long. Yeah, he's a beanpole. And he's like six inches taller than Banya. Yeah, but for the sake of the episode, they are the same size. It's a 42. And so... They get into a bidding war for it. Kramer, uh, Banya wants to buy it, and he talks. Kramer gets him to up to three hundred, and so Banya's going to buy the suit for three hundred dollars. And they go right into the changing room to to make the make the switch. Uh, over at Yankee Stadium, George comes in to ask Steinbrenner, who of course is voiced by Larry David, uh, for a raise for Ada. And a phone call interrupts them, though, and that's pretty much the end of that scene. Uh, over back at Barney's, Kramer tells Elaine, who is in the women's dressing room stall right next to him, to call Jerry to get him to bring him some clothes. And <laughs> Elaine's like, why can't you just buy something here? He's like, 
that would bankrupt. That would kill my whole profit margin <laughs> if I bought clothes at Barney's. And so he needs Jerry to come. If only Elaine had a Seinfeld, she could had a Seinfeld had a cell phone. She could have just texted Jerry or something right then. Or Kramer. If yeah. only Kramer had a cell phone. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, we we could have solved this whole problem. And also, if Kramer had a cell phone, it would have destroyed the entire conflict of this episode. Yeah. Because well, yeah, because he would have been able to call and get close, you mean? Well, I, I was going to say he would have been able to save Uma Thurman's number in his cell phone. Aha, yes, you're right. I forgot about Uma's number. So over at the dry cleaners, Jerry confronts Willie about wearing the jacket, and I love that he goes, I would wear, wear your clothes. That's against the dry cleaners code. And Jerry <laughs> goes, you need a code to tell you not to wear other people's clothes? <laughs> and so Jerry wants his fur coat back, and, and you know he's he's done with Willie now, having because he confronts him. He has the movie ticket and everything, and he wants the fur coat back. Cut away to Willie's wife wearing the fur coat and eating a hot dog off the street. Oh my god! Which that fur coat is now going to smell like <laughs> a New York City street hot dog for the rest of its existence. <laughs> uh, but luckily for Willie, Jerry doesn't have the claim ticket, and Jerry's like, I picked up clothes here before without a ticket and he's like oh those first storage warehouses are gigantic you can't get anything without a claim ticket so willie really willie really lucked out here yeah i did Jeez. and jerry says he'll be back over back at barney's elaine is looking in the mirror and she thinks she looks great in this new dress but she sneaks off to find a non-partisan mirror as she says and back at yankee stadium ada did get a raise a twenty-five thousand dollar raise so to me that means like 25k more than she was making yeah that that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking too my god i mean because george points out she's making more than george yeah because it's not like george would have only been making like i don't know twenty three thousand dollars in new york city (laughs) yeah not for the yankees yeah Yeah, not not for the yankees and not for like all the suits he's wearing to work every single day yeah, yeah, and and not as the like uh, travel secretary for the a major league baseball team. So <laughs> yeah, Ada is now making more than George, and so this is where you know the, now that she's making more money, her hair is down. She's wearing fashionable clothing. This is where like Ada turns into I think I guess attractive age Ada. I have no idea, mm-hmm. but this is more like what Vicky Lewis looks like. You know, she's wearing like a designer women's suit. Um, they, they kind of really changed the character once she started making more more money here. <laughs> Back to Elaine walking down the street, trying to see her reflection in storefront mirrors and stuff like that. She asks some random guy who walks out of a store if he likes the dress, and I love the guy just like, you'll never pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking savage. And, Jeez. Uh, <laughs> just, I mean, what a great honest opinion. That's That's what Elaine wanted, an honest opinion. That's true. You'll that's never true. pull it off. <laughs> so back at Barney's, Jerry is... They're coincidentally, I guess, just shopping also for moisturizer. He asked for the women's moisturizer section, which maybe he was like intrigued by all the, you know, because Kramer like is really talking up this See, whole moisturizer. I, I thought that it he was, bought at Barney's. I thought it was because in the dry cleaners, he uh, knew that he had to go look for Kramer because. Oh, the, so you think he was? I, ah. I, I think he was just specifically looking for Kramer, knowing that he would probably be in the women's moisturizer. So you think that like. He was going to meet Elaine and Kramer there? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Because I thought he was just there coincidentally. And I wrote this whole backstory in my head like, <laughs> oh, he heard about it and he wanted to buy it. But he didn't want... Because I was like, why would he be there without them? 
You know, like, I think he snuck off. Like, he was like, well, go to the dry cleaners, and then I'll drop by Barney's and buy that moisturizer, because even though it's girl stuff, I want to try it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we're that lucky. I think it I was, don't want anybody to know. I don't think we're that lucky. I think it's just that he knew that Kramer and Elaine <laughs> would still be at Barney's, and uh, Kramer would probably be hovering somewhere near the moisturizer, because he's obsessed with it. Yeah, and trying to get free samples, too, mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah. whatever they have. They usually have free <laughs> samples at those, uh, those counters. So he hears Kramer talking in the dressing room or no i i think maybe he hears jerry from the outside and he goes hey jerry uh, and oh, then no, he's like Kramer? No, no what it is is like one of the patrons comes up to the employees and she's like this person's been in here for an hour and the employee walks over like ma'am is everything okay yeah and it's just kramer's voice yeah that's right <laughs> yeah and then, then, that yeah, then jerry attention. yeah he's like kramer jerry yeah and so he goes into the dressing room and says he needs that dry cleaning ticket but the dry cleaning ticket was in the pants with uma thurman's number and jerry's like you sold him your clothes without having any backup he's like i didn't think ahead (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny we get like a very sitcom-y disapproving glare from jerry it's like if if this glare had any lines the line would be oh kramer like it really is like a "Mm," oh oh that kramer that's our Kramer. <laughs> he even like crosses his arms, I think. So uh, Elaine comes back in and she comes back into the store and she has to buy the dress because she went outside with it. Not only because she went outside with it, because there's a huge salt stain from the snow on the ground outside. And so Banya comes back too. And that quote unquote Nancy boy moisturizer that Kramer oh. had in the pocket leaked all over the suit. <laughs> oh, no. Again, is there anything less masculine? than moisturizer i can't think of it uh, if it exists geez. yeah why do they have it out for moisturizer oh god but even like even the term nancy boy jesus yeah uh, yeah <laughs> it, it was definitely uh, so 1994 leaked, yeah really it, it leaked all over the suit and so kenny doesn't want uh, kenny banyan doesn't want it anymore and kramer won't buy it back for full price because it's covered in moisturizer <laughs> and so jerry makes a deal all they really need, I guess, because Kramer doesn't want the suit anymore because it's ruined. All they really need is that number. So Jerry makes a deal for two nice dinners at Mendy's in exchange for the ticket. God. <laughs> and back at <laughs> back at Yankee Stadium, George asks for a raise because now Ada's making more than him. George Steinbrenner starts rambling and George just... <laughs> walks out of the room yeah, it seems like, like not getting the raise yeah like steinbrenner's just like he he goes on a rant about like cupcakes and uh yeah. dr- and like catching a ride in a bakery truck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and and so evidently i guess george is not going to be getting that raise back at barney's oh, the ticket's been smudged out by the moisturizer that is spilled on it so you can't read the claim number you can't read uma's number jerry then sees willie's wife with the fur coat go into the dressing room I like when he's like, wait, is that my mom's coat? And he follows her into the dressing room. She goes, yeah. no, it's not. Yeah. Like, she, like as he opens the door, he's like, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> but she, she's got like yeah, the, the, the guilty look on her face as she's saying that is what makes it, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because like they don't acknowledge each other. Like there's no there's nothing that indicates she heard him say that. <laughs> she just goes into the dressing room and then she's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> like he didn't have a chance to say that's my mom's jacket again because she already. Yeah. Heard, it was, it's just just perfect timing. And he takes it off of her. Elaine, meanwhile, asks about the salt stain on the dress saying, hey, can you get this out? And Willie's wife says, yeah, sure. What size is it? 
as if that matters, but it gives an indication that she really likes the dress and is probably going to wear it, even mm-hmm. though, but we know size has no meaning in the Seinfeld universe, but even though Willie's wife and Elaine are also not the same size. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would have been, ins- I mean, I would have been kind of insulted if I was Elaine and like, you think you're the same size as me? Like knowing <laughs> Elaine, that would have made her like incredibly self-conscious. She already thinks because of all these clothes that she's hippie, more hippie than she is, you know, she's bigger than she is. And so the fact that this woman would think that she's the same size as Elaine would have sent her into a spiral of some sort, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Out on the street, Kramer is wearing the fur coat, his shirt, no pants, and they're walking home from Barney's. And I guess so. I was under the impression that he sold Banya the shirt because you know because they settled on three hundred bucks. And Kenny goes, "Will you throw in the shirt?" And Kramer goes, "Banya, you're killing me." Which I thought meant that like, yeah, I'll throw in the shirt. Why not for three hundred? But I guess that meant that he didn't throw in the shirt because he now he's wearing it in this scene. <laughs> Over at Mendy's, Jerry and Banya are out for one of their two nice meals, and they both have ordered the soup. <laughs> so, so does this count as and, one of the meals then? <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. Probably not, knowing Banya. Because, and we find out that, I, I like this too, he's ordered the soup because he has a date later on, and he's got to get, A, he's got to get going for that. So he's cutting the meal kind of short, but he's uh, eating the soup, and Banya got Uma's number off of the ticket before it was smudged, and they're going out. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I got a date with he some- doesn't have any indication that yeah, like he some- knows it's Uma Thurman. Some woman named Uma, hope she's pretty, or something. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it, wh- how did he have the forethought to just take a random number off of a ticket before it was smudged, like have, he would have needed it or something? I, I have no idea. This also implies that uh, he was able to make out what the number was before. W- what did he do to the ticket to erase the number then? Did, did did the moisturizer just magically like not cover up the number at one point and then minutes later cover up the number? I think that's possible if, like, you know, he got it. But I want to know why he had the forethought to, like, oh, here's a piece of paper with a number on it. When I find a piece of paper with a phone number I don't recognize on it, my first inclination is not to make a redundant copy. Like, well, I better write down this phone number. Uh, uh, I better I better replicate this. And then, oh, no, like, it's destroyed. Like, how did he, how was he able to save it? That's what I want to know. Like, I know mm-hmm. this is just, like, a throwaway joke at the end of the episode. But, like, why did he, if I found an, a random phone number, I wouldn't go, this is important. I better I better write this number down. <laughs> I would I would go, "Oh, I I don't need a phone number who's I don't need, you know, maybe do you think the name Uma was above it? Uh, or do you think Kramer just wrote down Uma like the number?" I I think he had to have written Uma because uh I I don't, I don't know if Banya knew what her name was or would have asked like what her name was because I'm guessing he called her and he called the number yeah. I'm assuming and he's like, "Hi, is this Uma?" and she's like, "Yeah." But I don't know. So that's probably he, he probably didn't find the number and then replicate it. He probably found the number and called it right then. Probably. And talked uh, to Uma. They kind of hit it off. He didn't know who she was, evidently. And so that was probably attractive <laughs> to, you know, one of the most famous actresses on the planet at this point. I'm, I'm, and, su- I'm surprised he didn't ask her to go to Mendy's. Yeah, maybe maybe they are. <laughs> maybe she's just going to meet. Jerry, you got to get out of here. Uma's coming to Mendy's. <laughs> He's just going to stay at that same table. Th- that That'd be smart, actually. It is smart. He's already had a bit of an appetizer. It is smart. <laughs> Plus, it's the only uh, nice restaurant that Banya likes, apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, I like that he has a pointless conversation. He's like, wow, should we go here for our next meal? Because you know it's going to be good. Or should we go somewhere else? And Jerry's like fed up with the stupid. He's like, I know what you mean. You come here because it's good. But the, you go somewhere else, you're going to take a chance on it not being good. We get it. <laughs> and Banya doesn't pick up on the fact that Jerry is exasperated by his company. He's like, yeah. <laughs> God. So we have one more stand-up bit. 
And by the way, oh, before we get to that, though, um, I would have liked if they would have kept in the fact that Banya asked Kelly out in that episode. I forget what that episode was, but, you know, the one where George asked Kelly out and then he can't go back to the restaurant. But then Banya gets a date with her when she leaves the restaurant. And he was like, yeah, I didn't, you know, we know that was a deleted scene. He was like, I didn't want to ask her out because it would have been weird at the restaurant. But now that she's not working here anymore, I asked her out and we're going out. So I would have liked that he poached not only now one of George's love interests, but also one of Kramer's love interests. <laughs> uh, I think that would have been a great sort of uh, through line for, from his two episodes. Uh, oh, the, the soup, of course. If Banya was in it, it was the soup. And one last stand-up bit, how Jerry hates when they list the specials at restaurants because nobody likes them or they'd be on the menu. And that's pretty much it. It's a very, uh, very dull bit, I thought. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, okay, did we have any homework from this episode? I, I made a note of something. What was it that I made a note of? Uh, I just wrote down department store mirrors. Okay. To figure out if there was any... I feel like there was a story. I feel like there was a big story regarding department store mirrors in the last few years. So we'll we'll try to figure out what that was. Yeah, I, I think and I think that's it. I think that was it because I mean we touched on uh, Midnight Cowboy at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. All right. So did we want to come up with a better description? We can try. So we had George hires an unattractive secretary. That does happen, and it but, happens early. Man, yeah, but it almost has. Sometimes that is sort of the the do, the first domino that falls that makes the rest of the story happen but that's not the case here but i'm trying to think about what else because there's the mirrors i guess it is mostly about it's the dry cleaner but the secretary doesn't affect anybody except george you know i mean the that's true i would say i mean i hate that it's that the title is the secretary but it almost everything almost comes from jerry thinking his dry cleaner is wearing his clothes i don't know if that's what we want to or jerry um I mean, we can keep George hires an attractive secretary, but I wouldn't mind. It's rare that we make it more wordy. Yeah. I can drop that entire synopsis and change it to Jerry accuses his dry cleaner of what? How do we say? What about just Jerry has an issue with his dry cleaner? What about just Jerry accuses his dry cleaner? Okay. Do we okay. need to say of what Jerry accuses his dry cleaner? Yeah. Uh, I feel like that is an incomplete sentence. Yeah. Uh, J- uh, Jerry, Jerry has an issue with his dry cleaner, do you think? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, and that's fine. do we want to add in anything with Elaine or Kramer? Or what What about Jerry must confront his dry cleaner, or is J- that too incomplete? Uh, no, I like that. Well. Jerry, Jerry must confront his dry cleaner, semicolon, Kramer and Elaine go shopping. <laughs> Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> I mean, if, as long as we're gonna, as long as we're gonna include Kramer and Elaine, we we might as well put back in George hires an unattractive secretary. But his, but the secretary is already part of the. It's already the episode title. Oh, the title. Yeah. So I don't think we need okay. to. That's right. the thing. I'm fine with that. All right. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So next week we have got season six, episode ten. I didn't write the name of the episode. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> the race the race okay i wrote the race i wrote season six episode 10 uh december 15th 1994 and i didn't write the title of the episode <laughs> uh but if you're looking in tv guide the night of december 15th you're gonna see jerry finds an old high school classmate still disputes the outcome of a big race okay i don't hate it but we'll see uh what happens next week? <laughs> and is that it? That's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.